But the good thing is, I mean, roleplay rescue is often about getting back into role playing, isn't it? Mm. Um, and I think this is one where if, if one of your issues is planning, either, either feeling that you don't have time to plan or feeling that when you do plan, you're not planning enough, you know, running anyway, but having guilt about not planning enough, maybe, mm. or, or feeling in the, in the moment that you haven't planned enough. I think Numenera is really, really liberating. If you say the real life ends up your days And you don't have time to play Well, midlife is the best time to start a new role-playing phase And you need a rescue Chase coming at you with a rescue A role-play rescue Chase gonna help my friend Let's sit down the game My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Hello, rescuers. This episode, we are joined by my good anchorite friend and fellow podcaster, Dave Aldridge, of the Deep Percentile podcast. This episode claims a few firsts on Roleplay Rescue, being the first interview recorded using Zoom, and also the first interview which has been shared in two parts. The focus of this first part is upon Dave's experiences with Numenera and why he considers it a great game from which to learn a more freeform style of play. The second part, in which we discuss what Numenera has taught him as a GM, will be released on Dave's own podcast, Deep Percentile. I'll stick a link to his Anchor podcast in the show notes. It is in the spirit of collaboration that we bring you this conversation that I think we both really enjoyed sharing and which you can hear in the recording. Many thanks to Dave for agreeing to do this with me. This is Season 6, Episode 12, Talking Numenera with Dave Aldridge. Rescue! He's back. Dave Aldridge is back at the mic. Welcome to the show, Dave. Hi. Are you well? I'm really well, thank you. I'm enjoying the weather. Uh, it's meant to be half term. Uh, but it's all the same, isn't it? All blurs, but we're having a good time. And not that anyone who's listening to this can see, but you're looking fine. You're looking good. Thank you. You're looking pretty healthy yourself as well. Well, yeah. one does, apart from the mad hair, one does all the best. <laughs> so we're here to talk about uh, Numenera, actually, amongst other things. Um, and now, if I remember correctly, this kind of conversation came out of another conversation about, I think on your podcast, you'd mentioned that you pretty much learned almost everything about you know, what you do for GMing these days from Numenera. And that got me really curious. So that was the kind of initiation. And then obviously on top of that, we've just been starting to do recently these interviews uh, with various gamers about games they think are great introductions. Mm -hmm. So it seems like we've got two really good things we can talk about there in one go. So start us off. Why do you think Numenera is a good starting point? Okay. So, so it's, it's, I, I think it has crunchier elements. So it does have a little bit, it does have a little bit for players in particular, it has a little bit that you have to get hold of mm. if you're going to GM. So there is a, there's a little bit of crunch that is player facing, but what I really like about Numenera in particular is the guidance on session planning. And it's actually guidance that you could transplant into a whole bunch of other games. So actually my, I'm going to run a game of electric bastion land on, 
Sunday, I think. Uh, and I'm pretty much going to plan it exactly as I would plan a Numenera game. And I've said before that I think Lazy Dungeon Master, I think a lot of the guidance in Lazy Dungeon Master, I first encountered very, very similar guidance in Numenera. Uh, and it is an incredibly liberating approach to planning. And obviously there are aspects of the system which sit around that and which particularly support that. Um, so that makes it particularly um, you know, suitable in Numenera. Um, but the good thing is, I mean, roleplay rescue is often about getting back into role-playing, isn't it? Mm. Um, and I think this is one where if, if one of your issues is planning, either, either feeling that you don't have time to plan or feeling that when you do plan, you're not planning enough, you know, running anyway, but having guilt about not planning enough, maybe, mm. or, or feeling in the, in the moment that you haven't planned enough, I think Numenera is really, really liberating. Um, and even the aspects of the system which are geared around that, I think a lot of that you could transplant as an approach into mm. other games. I mean, I've because I, I spoke to you a little bit about this before. I bought myself Numenera Discovery, which is the current kind of core rule book. I know there are two books, but this is the one, the basic kind of core of the game. And I also bought the Numenera uh, starter set. Um, and I got very close to running this game, but I sort of bottled it you know, just using the starter set. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess what I'll do is, if I, you don't mind, I'll air the fears. I think I had three fears. Please, yeah. Okay, so the first one was the scenario was very linear and I felt I didn't have enough of a handle on everything to be able to run it. Do you know what I mean? I, bizarrely, even though it's written for as a starter set, I just felt, I don't quite know enough about this. Yeah, that kind of barrier. So it's got like a lot of, you know, a, a location, a really interesting set of NPCs. It's really quite cool, actually, in a lot of ways. But the thing I always felt is I bottled out on, but I don't know the world. So mm -hmm. I think I know what you're going to say about that. But that's kind of where it, that was the first thing. The second thing was I I was aware that I had pre-generated characters. I was aware there's a lot of crunch in the character sheet, like up front, having sort of skimmed through the rule book is, I love the, the character creation process. I really, really love that descriptive process. But I was worried that when I put it in front of my players, they wouldn't be able to run those characters, you know, straight off the bat. So that was the second worry I had, which made me nervous. And I guess the third thing for me was that I just, is yeah, a different approach to running a game that I wasn't familiar with. So there are a number of things in the game. The fact that the GM doesn't roll dice was slightly yeah. unnerving. Uh, the fact that it's a D20, uh, one die thing. And you know me, I like my handfuls of dice. <laughs> and and um, also, I, yeah, just the thing you love the most, I know, the ciphers. Again, I didn't quite grok them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that was, that was what I was kind of nervous about. So help me unpick that help me yeah, find so lot, some confidence lots of things to thrash through there and i haven't got a, that's the one thing i didn't bring i didn't bring a pen to hand to jot them all down so you might have to remind <laughs> me about some of the issues but the, the first one so i haven't seen the starter set um mm -hmm. i've got pretty much i think i've got every book that's been published for the line the whole time but i yep. you know because i've got that i didn't go to the star set but one thing i will say is that the the numenera writers don't follow the guidance about how to plan sessions, right? And I, th I, I kind of think that's because if it's a published module, if it's a published adventure, you know, everybody feels they need that little bit more. They feel they need to give you a little bit more. Well, one thing I will say, there are, there are loads of, um, I think they call them glimmers. There are loads of little mini resources that you can get only as PDF, which are just a couple of pages, which give you a few tables and a few ideas and a couple of monsters. And I think they're great. They're often not uh, scenarios or adventures. They're just, 
little bits of stuff which you can take and use. And I much prefer those kinds of resources. I'm like you, even if I've got a published adventure, even if it's presented in such a way that you know, you, you're really supposed to be able to run it out of the box, I never can. I never yeah. can. So I always have to rebuild from what I've, from what I've got. Um, yeah. But they don't follow their rules. And we'll go through their rules in a little while. But that, that's just worth knowing. And because that, that's, that's quite interesting when you look at the Numenera book. A lot of the things I'm going to say that are really good about the game, you then look at it and you go, hold on, there's 100 pages, 150 pages, however much it is, just of world info in here. Yeah. You know, fluff after fluff after fluff. And I kind of go, yeah, but the beauty of that is... You, you just ignore it. <laughs> you don't <laughs> use it. You know, all I use all of that fluff for is just to look at the lovely pictures, to read the sidebars, you know, the lovely bits mm. that are in bold text. You go, oh, yeah. that's fascinating. And then just to get a feel. I mean, I can dive into that now. I'll read pages in there I've never read. I, I can open yeah. it now. If I'm in the world info, there'll be great chunks of that text I've never read. But then I'll look at some of it and I go, well, that's a nifty idea. I could use that in a in a module, but but precisely that that old school, um, you know, you've got to have a gazetteer, you've got to have a map that's rich with locations, lots of dense info. That to me is the writers not following their own rules. So you're saying the ninety odd pages of of setting in this book, hundred page hundred twenty nine to page two hundred twenty one. So what we're talking about ninety. Yeah, 91 pages or something. You're saying that Monty Cook might as well not really have published that. Any... <laughs> no, 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 because it gives you a feel. It gives you a feel for how the game might go. Right. It gives you a feel for how the game might go. It's just a trove of ideas. That's how I view it anyway. It's just a yeah. trove of ideas. So I don't want to be sat around the table with someone else who's read the book who says, oh, if I go north from here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there after a couple of days because yeah. I've looked at the map. <laughs> not in my world, you won't. <laughs> because it's because it's weird and surprising and they make a big point of that in the intro to the book mm. people don't travel very far nobody's got any idea of all this map it's just mm. for you it's just for the gm it's just for you know the, the, the players you have to you have to travel and discover it's yeah. a discovery game and that's one of the things the minute the minute the world is mapped charted you know how long it's going to take you to get somewhere you know that if you travel that far east you're going to turn up somewhere uh, i think it loses its weirdness yes chase sorry <laughs> <laughs> He's got his hand up. You can't see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, a good example. I thought there's a quite a good thing in the starter set. I know you haven't read it, but there, I think if I remember correctly, there's a story. There's a location, and I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that the location is a sort of a gateway, um, and it moves. You know. So I think there's a bit where I think one of the th I remember there being something about. You know, when the players they go in this thing and then they can come out and they're like in a completely different place, which allows you as a you know as a GM to kind of go, oh right, okay, I'm going to take you here, boop, mm -hmm. and um, it's kind of like that would be kind of a, a freaky thing for them. Um, that's what appealed to me actually about the story in some ways because I love me portals and I love yeah. me you know all that kind of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I kind of got that, and I, at the same time, I got this feeling there was this kind of incredibly constructed little story which was designed to sort of, I think, take us through various mechanisms of the game and, and various experiences within the game as well. You know, an interaction scene, there's a bit of a fight, you know, and there's those kind of things, which I suppose is what a star has to do. Um, but yeah, it kind of almost interfered with the feeling. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so I don't know. I don't know what's Monty Cook and what's the other writers. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that when he put out the first Numenera book, that advice on GMing is Monty Cook's advice, but mm. he's got a company, he's got to put out modules, you know, and it, 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 they just don't follow it. So the interesting thing about the Numenera 
the what you've got discovery it's one of mm. the small it doesn't actually change very much from first edition if people have got first edition books yeah. you can dive into that you won't notice the differences there are a couple of differences they're all mm. for the good but you won't notice um the armor rules work differently but then there's a mm. certain some things about presentation of the rules so this one i think the original the first edition hasn't got sample adventures in which mm. i quite like i don't I don't want sample adventures, actually. Yeah, I don't, there's, um, there's four in here, aren't there? Yeah, so. yeah. Now, but what's interesting, so you've got the guidance on how to plan, mm. which is just a double-page spread, which tells you how to do it uh, and says all you need. That's off the top of my head, but it's so simple. Mm. You know, all you need, first one, list of names. Right. <laughs> list of names. Um, a, a sketch of how it might go. So, you know, who the, who the key figures are, what's out there, what's to be discovered, what might be behind it. And then a list of interesting ideas, just a list of weird stuff. Yeah. And I'll show, I, you know, that I was, I'm going to show you, this is just for your benefit, really, Che, because listeners can't hear it. But I was going to show you my session sheet that I do for Numenera. Um, and that, yeah, you're not going to see that. Oh yeah, you can. But that's that's how I do it. Now that looks really dense. That's mm. because I also take notes of what happens in the session. But I, I literally have my list of names, my outline, my list of ideas. I add in one other little section. Mm. I'm going to make up my own monsters. You can for monsters, you can just pick a level and they're mm. good to go. But monsters are sometimes interesting if they've got one thing they're better at and one mm. thing they're worse at, and maybe a cool. Thing. so mm. i'll put that down if i'm coming up with a monster in advance i'll put that down and that is literally it and then just notes reminding me who played in the session and what they did you know how they changed mm. the state of the world so i can remember that next time and that is it but but that's one page and you mm. absolutely don't want that's quite small admittedly small mm. font on my ipad but it's, it's one page um and perhaps the point of putting an adventure in the in the book is so that a a, a new gm can can get a sense of what running it looks like. So again, they're not they're not showing you what your planning looks like. They're trying to do something like a handheld. Now, to their credit, each of those three is it or four adventures is presented in a completely different way. Mm. They are all different approaches. Now that's something you don't see that in other games. That each one is a radically different approach to mm. how you might go about doing it. So one is more of a a map with plotted out. Um, locations um, another one is presented more like a more like a flow chart and one of them is presented so what they did come up with and again I wouldn't use this either but it is quite interesting I've talked about this on my show before a little while ago but the one I don't need any of this I've got all this material I don't need any of it I recommend that's the good thing about Numenera you've got mm -hmm. the you've got the book you've got it all Everything mm -hmm. else is just ideas. There's nothing else. It's just ideas. Mm. But Weird Discoveries is one interesting supplement for it. It's called 10 Instant Adventures for Numenera. And the cool thing they do in this is that each adventure is plotted out as a sort of map flowchart type thing. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's acknowledged that with each, you know, with an interesting adventure, you want kind of three or four challenges which might be things you have to overcome, clues you need to find, all that kind of mm. thing. And they've invented symbols for all of these different kinds of things. And then they've detailed the location. And then they put multiple instances of the same symbol around mm. the location. So what that means is, it's your, it's your classic, it's your quantum clue or your floating clue, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, there are, there, are, there are three or four obstacles that need to be overcome, but no set solution. So they've plotted yeah. around the map. I don't think you even need to do this, but it's, it's, it's a hand-holding. It's a staged yeah. um, bit of training for you. They've plotted 
where each kind of clue might be. Now, you're only going to find each one of those once, but they give you multiple places where they might turn up. Now, I really like that because that's, that's that again, it's just, it's freeing you up. If that's an idea you haven't encountered before, it's kind of holding your hand and moving into you being free to just kind of appreciate that if the players, you've decided that the clue is over here in this corner and you've, we've all had those sessions, the players don't go anywhere near that corner. They fixate on something else. And you often read that as they fixate. Why are they fixated on it? What they're doing, we know, is they're signalling that this is what they're interested in. <laughs> this is where they think the solution might be. Now, it's not every time that you're going to just drop the clue right where they look because they won't have any experience of challenge or frustration or whatever. But a lot of the time you kind of think, how long is my session? It's three or four hours. I've got three or four of these major challenges. It's about time they overcame this one so they could move on to the next one. They've got a good reason why they think that guy over there might be the key holder for this area that they need to move into. There you go. You drop the key in. So these are just plotted in such a way that they give you the description of what the kind of key might be, but it could be in the pocket of, of whoever they, they, they have a good reason to ask for it. And that kind of thing. So one of the adventures is plotted out that way. Again, it still gives you more than you need. I don't need a map that's got multiple places where you might find particular things. I can do that as a GM, but, but, uh, but it's a nice way of introducing that idea of just moving you from, okay, I've plotted out the events that need to happen. I've plotted out where the clues are and now, you know, why aren't they finding them? And instead of you sort of having to nudge them or having to make suggestions, you know, why don't you look over there? It's just introducing that idea that you could just be free to go, okay, this, this guy's got the answer actually, if they're asking the right kind of questions, you know, if they've had a good reason to come to this person, that's quite nice. But yeah. So, Having said that's the best one, then I would discount the other examples. <laughs> but but I still think what they're what what they're trying to move you towards is that planning, which is just the one page, the names, the plot for how things might go. You know, a couple of secrets and then a bunch of weird ideas. And that's what I like. You know, all of that ninety pages, all to me, I can open it at any point, and that each double page spread will tell me the same thing, which is that bizarre things will be around the corner. <laughs> you know, you, you can try and read a particular location, you can try and read a particular person, and, you know, bizarre things will ensue. And, and they call that the weird. And it's one of the essential components of a Numenera session is that you have to... And, and you know, that's, there's a tact to that because it can't all be illogical and bizarre um, because then the weird doesn't count. But again, I, th I think all of that world info is giving you a sense of that tact. But... But actually, to be, to, to be a slave to that world info, and to, to, to feel that your world needed to, needed to include all of these different settlements and all of these different characters, I think, would, would be at odds with the liberation which the setting intends. You know, for the GM, all you need to do is set difficulties. That's all you need to do mechanically, once you've taught the game. Hmm. And everything else is just... It does. It encourages you to think on your feet um, and to and to help the story go in interesting ways. I've got a, we've got a theme we need to pick up on later. Assuming we don't speak for hours, um, and that is the obvious stylistic difference in gemming that you're you're describing there. You know, which is great. Um, you know, I'm all about discovering different ways of doing things, mm. and um, while we all have our particular stylistic preferences i guess you know one of the, my aims really pushing this series forward is to start exploring different 
offerings really different ways of doing things so i really want to come back to that in a second but having just mentioned you know once you get the players kind of trained i guess we might as well deal with my second concern which was you know i give them a character sheet you know pre-generated character Uh, that looked quite crunchy yeah and this is a okay so this is a having just run a sort of session zero first session uh last Mm. night of the mm. game after after because because we've been talking about Numenera, I've got excited um, <laughs> after after a little time of hiatus. So mm. I was rusty, had a few players have played it before. I had one completely new player, mm. and uh, yeah, I did everything wrong. <laughs> so, the, so the first thing is, you know, I said we'd meet in advance. That wasn't possible. I could have just said to the other players who had characters, you know, just go and. Yeah. yourselves a drink watch some telly do something else but we did so so this poor player had had everybody everybody bombarding them with advice so that's absolutely i think that um this is a game for character creation doesn't take very long mm. the, the, the mechanical implications of the decisions you make you're not going to fully understand if you don't know the game but mm. that doesn't really matter because the game is set up for you to just pick cool things mm. you, you basically define your character with the three words you are mm. a you are a, a, an adjective noun that verbs as they say no thank you evil follows the same structure um, so you've got your descriptor your type and in the core book discovery there are only three types same as in first edition there are other types mm. introduced in destiny i don't want them i don't need them the three is enough. Mm. There's plenty of variation. There's only 12 adjectives, actually, in this book. In the mm. various source material, there are loads of other adjectives. You only need 12. Um, you're an adjective noun who verbs. And then you've got 40-odd, I think, foci, the verbs. Um, so already, just with those three picks, mm. you've got plenty of variation. But then within each of those, um, well, particularly within the type, you've got lots of options. And I would recommend that new players just pick for coolness. I mean, the foci mm. are amazing. You can be you can be a two-weapon fighter or you can become electricity or you can control gravity or, or you can hunt beasts. You know, they're just, yeah. there's plenty there. And if you just do those three picks, mm. actually, the GM can then just shuffle about a few things onto the character sheet you know just get mm. some of that mechanics down because because you aren't going to understand the implications because the game is as is does have as you've said already it does have these very unusual resource management elements which aren't like other mm. games um and it, it, in a way then it's like you know lots of board games that are simple to understand the rules but mm. then the, the strategy gets richer over time um yeah. The, the resource, man, resource management takes a little bit of time to understand exactly what you're doing, but it doesn't matter because you can do it. You can do it mm. straight away. You can make the decision, especially at tier one, um, things like the expenditure of effort. Sorry, we'll unpack all of these things as we go, but yeah. expenditure of effort, tier one, you can only expend one point of effort. So it's just mm. a yes, no choice. Are you going to do effort or not? It's only later where you say, well, is it two effort or three effort that I'm going to spend mm-hmm. on this? And then the resource management gets made. But by then... You've been look, looking forward to that. You know, if only yeah. I had a bit more effort to play around with. So I would say character creation needs to be done GM to player mm. uh, in the first instance, if it's a new player. You don't want to be bombarded mm. with people making suggestions. So one-on-one is what you're saying. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> but it can then be done very quickly because mm. you just encourage people, just pick the call, which is what you say to people anyway. You know, just have mm. a character idea, have a concept, <laughs> have it because you like it. Don't worry about min-maxing, that kind of stuff. You can min Absolutely, of course, you can min-max here. Um, one of the things I do is I say at the end of the first session, now that you've learned the game, of course, go back. If you want to move yeah. attributes across the pools, fine. Who cares? If you want to choose, if you realize you played a different descriptor, fine. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll my, fix my that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is the guy who breaks games. I mean, I love him to bits. I game with him for what has it been? Twenty years, twenty-two years now. But you know, if you, I mean, he's great to play test. You want him to get break something. You know, he will exploit. And there are, yeah, and, yeah. and I've played Numenera with those people and it does get weird. It does, when you yeah. stress test it, you end up in some weird places, but not, but not such that you break it. But also what's mm. great about that is that this is what I like about that game. I play with a lot of those people who are just a little bit dissatisfied with my super mm. simple OSR games that I like to play. I like to play them because they're easy for me. But, you know, sometimes people like a bit of crunch. Now, I think Numenera, once you know it, is not the crunchiest game in the universe. It's very mid-level crunch mm. at the player end but some players like a bit more crunch and the good thing is when you've got a player like that they know their character but you know you'll get to know your character sheet inside out pretty quickly and then it's mm. all on the player side the player mm. does it all and just tells the gm oh by the way i'm using this ability they they spend the points from their pool we work out what happens but the gm doesn't have to manage any of that and the gm's own beast you know fifth ed the players have got spells the monsters have got spells the players have got multiple actions the monsters got multiple spells. here the players have got all of that the monsters have got none of it <laughs> you know so <laughs> so on your yeah and that's great because you've got loads of them to look after and you've got a whole mm. story to look at. and that's what i really like um, mm. but i would say yes yeah, so for new players just pick cool things gm can help them just with the mechanical stuff accepting that you don't really understand the decisions you're making you can go back and change them now I've bought myself the um, the Monty Cook's you know cipher system core rule book. Mm. In fact, I've got the revised book um, yeah, along with um, I've ordered up Tolos um, because I just really you know that legendary um, fantasy city and um, they did a kickstart and you know I thought okay I get myself the core book because when I actually actually before I bought Norman Numenera I bought Cipher um, and it was yeah. because I quite liked the look of it you know it's that. Like you said, there's a nice balance between the players have some crunch to go play with, but it keeps them happy. And it looked nice and straightforward. And the other thing that appealed to me, oddly, um, I guess oddly to some people, is the fact because there's, the player is, uh, all the dice rolls are player facing, it seemed to me that that had solo possibility. Right. You know, right. Because actually, when you're in player mode, you're rolling and the GM isn't. So the roles are all in the hands of one person, you know what I mean? Whether you're, you know, emulating the GM or what. So that seemed like an appealing idea. Um, but again, I keep stumbling with, I guess in some respects, what seems like a really bare GM side of the equation uh, mm. to me. It seems kind of really simple and feels, I, I guess, possibly simplistic. What do you think? Yeah, I would... Yeah, so so the first thing is, I, I think if you're a if you're a high crunch player, even on the player side, you will mm. eventually go, no, nah, it's not that crunchy at all. Mm. Actually, um, it's not one of your crunchier games. Um, for the GM, simplistic, possibly, um, mm. because because all you ever need to do mechanically is set uh, a difficulty for a task. And that's enough that you just pick a number between one to one ten. ten yeah. Then one of the quirks of the system is then you multiply it by three to get the target number on the D20. But you know, oh. once you, you don't have to do it for very long to just understand that that is a quirk of the system, but that's how I once you wanted it to be on a D20. That's D20 <laughs> roll low, isn't it? Uh, uh, no, it's roll, it's roll high. Oh, roll high. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I can't get my head yeah. around it. So if it's level one, I've got to roll a three. Yes. Yeah. Or more. Okay, yeah. I'm with it now. And if you've so if got... it's level five, I'll roll 15 or more. Okay, yep, my yeah. brain just clicked that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. 
and if you've got if you've got things that help you out for a level one level two task like mm. if you're trained in a skill and you spend a point of effort you don't need mm. to roll if it takes it down to zero you don't need to roll right um, or if you've got an asset and a skill um, there's quite a lot of moving there's quite a lot of moving around there actually once you set the task difficulty then the, pl the player will bring things to make it easier and you as a gm will you know you may negotiate assets as well that will make it easier um, and then you as a gm gm may introduce certain things that that hinder the difficulty assets are like gear i take it that kind of stuff yeah assets are anything that helps you say so that's one thing they tidied up so it was a bit loose in the first edition the second edition they tidied it up it's really nice so mm -hmm. things that can help you are skills mm -hmm. and they're only going to help you two levels yeah there you'll either be trained or specialized and that's it so mm -hmm. that's ever got that's only ever going to move it by two mm -hmm. um then you've got effort uh, effort is locked to, to, to where you are in your character progression up to a maximum mm -hmm. of six. Mm -hmm. And then you've got assets and assets can only, whatever combination of assets can only move it in your favor by a further two. Um, and that's that's it. And that was that was slightly loosely described, but that's much clearer. So you can see actually, if you had all of those, if you spent six effort, you had you were specialised, and you had two assets, you could actually reduce a ten down to a zero. So just to get around in my head, just make sure again, I guess for the benefit of the listener. Um, but say it's difficulty five, and I bring my one effort, that brings it to four, and then I I know my skills two levels, that brings it down to two. So now yeah. I've got to roll. Two times three, six, or more on d twenty. Crikey, right. you see how good I am at maths. Going. <laughs> well, well, the good thing is everything's online now. I'm doing this on roll twenty, and the um, the character sheets, the official character sheets that they've mm. made for this, are really nice because mm. they do all that for you. The only thing you can't fold into the character sheets is any hindrances or um, yeah, even inabilities. If your character has an inability that makes them worse at something, that's mm. all. And that's really nice because I because I, I I find especially after I've had maybe two or three beers during a game session. I know you don't, <laughs> but I do. I have a car. I have a couple of beers. If I've had two or three beers, I find it quite hard to track my difficulty levels once they've spent effort and uh, yeah. introduced assets. That's lovely on roll twenty. It does all of that for me. It's quite nice. Now the damage and stuff that's on the stats, isn't it? That you sort of affects your so key damage, abilities. Damage is fixed. Yeah, so yeah, two things. So damage is fixed. So mm -hmm. your light weapon always does two, your medium does mm. four, your heavy does six. Yeah. Um, armor simply reduces damage. Yes, and damage is done to your pools. You've mm. got intellect, might, and speed. And this is mm. where the, the, the resource management gets a bit strange sometimes. Mm. Um, because yeah, you spend three points out of a pool um, to spend effort. So one point of effort costs you three points out of your pool. Yeah. Um, but that will then be modified. You have extra things. So you've also got um, each of your pools has an edge rating. Mm -hmm. um, so your pool can be bigger or smaller. And that'll be, mm -hmm. that, that basically represents endurance. So if you've got a high might pool, then you can take a lot of might damage or you can, you can expend a lot of might. Mm -hmm. um, but if you've got edge, edge reduces the cost of your um, effort expenditure so if you've got edge of one then you're in might then mm. a point of effort in might uh, well when you spend effort spend points on effort it will be reduced by one so i'm trying to be really really clear because what i'm doing yeah. with my players they say okay so i'm spending three points of effort i can reduce each of those by one it's like no 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 uh, three <laughs> points of effort that'll cost you nine your edge will reduce it down to, yeah it won't cost you nine, actually, because each additional point of effort costs a bit less. Sorry, um, I'm rusty. <laughs> Roll20 is doing that for me at the moment, so I'm forgetting this stuff. Yeah. 
that's cool all right so we've we talked about the world basically ditch the 90 odd pages in the numenera rule book use them for reference and um yeah the map on the inside front cover ignore it and then when it comes to characters get them to pick stuff that's cool um and not worry about it too much so then the, the next thing for me was um yeah what am i doing as gm and i kind of in there was my confusion around what ciphers were and what that was all about yeah so you've, you've touched on there should be something weird and the ciphers are kind of important so yeah help me unpack that tell us a little bit about that yeah so the ciphers are great and i'm importing them into as many other games as i can um so maybe that's actually maybe that's a way into ciphers if i say what i've been inspired by ciphers to do in other games so over time i'm building just a big list of random items that i can drop in just drop into sessions so players want to search a lot more often than I want to be bothered stocking rooms. Yeah. Yep. So uh, you have a big list, but it's not, it's not as simple as a big list of random items because, um, well, it, or it is, I think actually a lot of the way ciphers work links back to some key elements of, of old school play, even in the way that, that Matt Finch would describe it. So some of these items you're going to find are really significantly transformational items, right? It may be because they're a one use and they transform you, or maybe because um, you can carry them around with you and they can give you something that they will do. Now in, in Numenera, if you can carry it around with you and it gives you something you can fairly regularly do, then that's a much more powerful kind of item called an artifact. Um, and we're used to those. We know that in old school games, one of the ways that your character becomes more interesting and distinct is by picking up magic items and artifacts. Mm. Yeah. Um, some games introduce the idea of spell as items so when i'm doing my big list for these other games in here i've got these powerful artifacts but i've also got one use spells scrolls and things like that they're all in there as well um and i don't worry with them whether they're gonna break sessions transform the game you know enable players to escape from the dungeon because the point is they're one use yeah so they'll break one session (laughs) <laughs> but I haven't broken the character build. So instead of, instead of, giving, that, instead of giving things to uh, making them parts of character builds, you know, by level seven, your dungeons have got to be different because, you know, your, 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 your characters have now got dungeon-breaking abilities. So we have to go to the planes and do stuff like that. In Numenera, they say, look, do all of that through ciphers. Ciphers are one-shot mm. items. They can be as trivial or as powerful as you like. They are randomly determined. So when, you dig, when you're digging around, yeah, I haven't finished. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you in a moment, Shay. This is a no questions <laughs> interview. Yeah, no, what do you want? What do you want? We'll get back to it. No, there's two things, actually, I just wanted to throw in, because I just looked again in the book, mm. so I've been really, really rude while you're talking. Mm, no, you're um, but yeah, random tables. Okay, so we definitely need to talk about that. And that's got to be part of the appeal of this for you. But the other thought I had, and I just wanted to throw in here, was about reading the Cypher system rule book. So mm. I flipped through that, and I was interested in talking about the different genres and what ciphers could be. Yeah. And in that, it, I got the impression that they could be objects. So it could be like a magic scroll, or it could be a, you know, some kind of enchanted thing that has a one-shot effect, or it could be a wand or whatever. But it could as much be um, a sort of a, a one-shot ability or something, a sort of a yeah. something that you kind of... Yeah could do once and then never do again necessarily yeah. or, or um, an insight or a, yeah, yeah. a flash of yeah. inspiration yeah that kind of stuff so yeah. 
So those are the subtle ciphers. Yeah, so that so so those aren't in Numenera. So so originally, I can't remember what they were called in first edition Numenera. You had some ciphers which were worth two when they when you were carrying them around because they had bigger mm. effects than others. Now they've now they've just realised that the power of randomness is that you don't have to do that. You don't have to balance things. You don't have to have things in your, you know and say these ones if they come up in your table they are a bit harder to carry about. They've just realised yeah. look if you've got a big old table or a big old deck it's random. So they'll come as they come. So they've mm. got rid of that. But yes, in the, in the cipher system book, you've got, your ci you've got ciphers which are more like objects. Mm. And they are, in Numenera, they're, 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 little, they're little items that you yeah. find. Um, but then they've got the idea of the subtle cipher, which I really like. I mean, the thing is that the game can work the same. You're still not giving to character builds mm. these brilliant session-breaking things that afterwards or giving out an item which you realize you've got mm. to nerf or take off them or now run your campaign differently because they can do all this cool stuff you can mm. i mean you can give them things which stop to, you can give them a cipher that stops time for three years you know? <laughs> <laughs> which just that creates a great kind of session idea but they're only going to use it once because after that it's spent but yeah so they have they have the subtle ciphers as well mm. and i love I love the possibilities of that. So I, I don't think there are any real big differences in the way Cypher System runs and in the way Numenera runs, apart from that, actually, um, I particularly like, although I've said you ignore most of the world, I just particularly like the setup mm. of the world in Numenera. Yeah. I, li I, li I like how you can, you can say to players, this is so far in the future that the technology that's being rediscovered, it's beyond our imagining mm. and it's so alien to them that it may as well be magic. Um, you know, you can direct people to the source material, direct them to the to the Gene Wolf stuff, um, and and you're good to go. You're good to go. Um, so yeah, so I like so I like the possibilities of subtle ciphers. So I've suggested, I've pitched um, one day I'd like to run an Assassin's Creed game using cipher system, yeah. um, because uh, the precursor technology is your artifacts, mm -hmm. um, and then your subtle ciphers are animus glitches. So as you're moving around in that, in that, you know, you're, the, the conceit of Assassin's Creed is that you're not in the historical period, you're recovering memories in a computer simulate simulation, which occasionally glitches, there's your ciphers. Brilliant. But in Numenera, they are, the point is that you are scavenging, you're scavenging this old ancient tech. What you manage to get a cipher to do, so you, you might pull it out of the innards of a, of, a, of a dead machine, or you might find them scattered around in some indecipherable ancient laboratory um, but you can get some effect out of them it, it probably wasn't the effect that they were made to do but you can get some interesting effect and you don't have to think it through any more than that you know why why is why is this item there well it's just a it's just a spent bit of kit with a little bit of residual charge or power or whatever um, and it Numenera does give you lots of guidance on how to be sort of appropriately loose about the ways that you describe powers um one of the things we were talking about in our last session is about how it then breaks the rules all the time so there are loads of things which nullify gravity uh, nullifying gravity actually seems to me to be a really sort of technical way of describing what i might intend you know i might describe differently you know a floating sphere or something like that yeah. but um um, but you don't have to, the point is you in Numenera, you don't have to overthink what the ciphers are. Whereas I agree, a subtle cipher, you kind of need an explanation for, for how you could find it and then use it. You know, how is it in this situation I've now gained an insight, which, I, which is as yet undefined, but I can use later on. Whereas here, it's just, you picked up some stuff and you can coax 
a use out of it. But that, yeah. but that's great. And these, some of these, they've, they've released a couple of supplements where they give you really, really game-changing ones. You know, this is how powerful you can make them because you're only going to get one use. Yeah. Um, so you can't break anything with them. And a character is limited to how many they can carry. Or something. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're not over punitive about that. So there is a, there aren't actually many random tables in Numenera. So the big random table is the ciphers the mm. point about the ciphers. They say you can create, create your own fine. And they say you can mm. plant them if you want. There's no harm in planting them, but they do actually explain it. Uh, I, I can't remember how they describe it in second edition, but I remember one of the things that appealed to me when I was reading first edition is that if you're giving out items, they become part of your plan for how the session mm is going to go you know if you plant them you're often planting them as a solution to something else or as you're designing the rest of the dungeon you're often thinking of ways that it can't be easily overcome by the kit that you've put somewhere else um, mm. whereas here you're surprised by them and the players are surprised by them so you can't plan for that and they and and also you can't be too precious about your session that's this is how it holds together that's another reason why you don't want to be coming up with pages and pages and pages of notes because the players can can just break that so easily and in fact last night is a good example my core conceit of my session my one central idea was of a was of a song that reproduced itself sort of mimetically so if you're exposed to the song eventually the song takes you over and then you're singing it as well and it will, it will spread around the world this way they've got to resist this giving out the ciphers at the start i'm using the deck um, on roll 20 you, 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 you've got a version of the cypher deck you can use I really like I've got a physical cypher deck and that's a nice yeah. thing when you're playing around the table um, but one of the ciphers <laughs> as I've given it out I've, I'm thinking about what's going to happen to my session because it's a cypher that for two hours within a 60 foot sphere radius will nullify all sound <laughs> so, so suddenly my whole now the session went in loads of interesting ways but but that core thing um but that was so satisfying for the players and i i, I dare say they could barely believe that i hadn't planned it mm. but i hadn't it just come off the deck yeah <laughs> but that's also those really you know the players get to have those moments where they've got just the right thing mm. um but any number of other times they'll just have a whole bunch of ciphers that they're carrying around which they can't immediately use Mm. Um, but I think the idea, I mean, you're certainly supposed to encourage cipher use and cipher flow by giving them out fairly liberally. Mm. Um, so there should be a couple of opportunities in a session where they can pick up maybe D6 ciphers because right. uh, you can only carry so many. So you, you may as well use them because otherwise you're going to be having to leave uh, nifty things lying around. I want to get into some of the... GMing stuff, but I guess we ought to cover the monsters. I think that's the last big element of the game, isn't it? Just to sort of briefly talk. You touched on it. You set a level, give them one thing that's weird, and off you go. So, so everything you encounter has a difficulty level, mm. items, ciphers, things you want to craft, mm. uh, and monsters are the same. So a monster is defined by a difficulty level. Then you can you can move the dials, but basically once you've got the difficulty, you multiply multiply it by three, and that's its health points mm -hmm. um the difficulty is also the damage that it does now if you want it to mm -hmm. be particularly nasty or 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 timid you can mm -hmm. modify those things uh, and and that's it that that is all you need now you might want your monster to be able to do particularly interesting things but actually if you read the monster description of the book often they are just describing pretty much interesting ways that you might describe the monster doing its attacks with its fixed difficulties i mean a lot of it is just 
that's my dog. That's my dog eating. Sorry, in the corner. Oh, I wonder if it was one of the rats. <laughs> no, we'll see what else you can find. Um, yeah, but it, it, you know, once once you've got that, you can you can describe what's happening uh, in various interesting ways. There's other cool things, but but it's but it's sometimes nice to just have a couple of lines, which you know you've moved some of those dials, but also you've got a couple of funky things the monster can do. So sometimes it's fun to have decided in advance, for example, what might happen if um, if the monster triggers an intrusion. You know, so if the players roll a one, um, but also that's quite good fun. I've also got an intrusion deck. Um, so I can do that randomly as well. And there's different intrusion decks. There's one for monsters. There's one for social encounters. All right. So yeah, we haven't mentioned intrusions and I'd forgotten all about them. That is the other big thing. Yeah. So, so here's one way you use intrusions, right? And we've all done it. I mean, intrusions do a lot of the things that GMs do anyway, and they sometimes go wrong. So you're in the combat, you realize your monster's going to go down pretty quick. Yeah, no, in some games, it's just an easy monster. That's fine. Other games, you realize it's a TPK. Well, that's tough. It's a hard monster. But in, in Numenera, you could decide, okay, this monster's got another ability that hasn't revealed yet, right? Now, that is a git thing to do, okay, <laughs> As the, at the player end. But Numenera has the GM intrusion, right? So anytime you want to make things awkward or uncomfortable for the players. Now, sometimes you have to, you know this, if something's got to happen, it's got to happen to one of them. Sometimes I'll make a big show of rolling a die, so I'm picking randomly who it's going to happen. Mm. Here, you can just look at someone who hasn't had an XP yet this session and go, right, do you want an intrusion? Okay. <laughs> and if, if they want the intrusion, you give them XP. So actually the mechanism is you give them one XP and then you give them mm. another XP that they can give to any other player for whatever reason they like. Right. Um, one of the players last night was saying, well, uh, I can't decide, so I'll roll it randomly. I was like, well, any other reason, but not that one. <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can do it entirely <laughs> capriciously, but, but you cannot, in this game, you cannot just roll a die and decide who you're going to give it to. You must tell me why. Mm. Um, but, so they can say yes. Now, the brilliant thing is you get to be a gear they've got XP. It's brilliant. So all those times you think about in games, you're doing this all the time. The GM intrudes all the time. I've got to pick yeah. somebody for this nasty thing. Or, or I've realized this situation is a bit too easy. I've got to make it harder. You get to, you know, they, but, but if they've got XP and they don't want the intrusion, they can buy it off. And I think that's yeah. awesome. Now they, now they get the easy monster, but I don't feel too bad that the yeah. monster was too easy because they've had, they've had to pay me to keep it that way. They had to they give me an XP. All oh, right, paid an XP. Yeah. So yeah, if you don't, if you refuse an intrusion, you have to give an XP back to the. To mm. the now, players never do that. They never, right. do, they never, ever, ever do it. The only time they'll do it is the very first. Um, yeah, no, they'll never do it. They'll just never. Um, <laughs> well, you're saying yeah. they just want to hold on to Every, the XP. Everybody wants XP. You don't care how bad the situation's going. You don't believe yeah. you're going to get killed, do you? you, know, you can't <laughs> tell. Um, everybody wants XP. You only need four XP. You can buy your next thing. Yeah. Mm. So players really want to hold on to that XP till the end of the session. You don't want to be buying mm. off intrusions with it. Just bring it on. Um, you can do other things. So the second edition has got player intrusions. Mm. So players can spend XP to get cool effects. And sometimes I'll negotiate mm. those with players or offer them to players. Um, you can also buy some pretty, some pretty persistent session advantages. So if you're in a particular environment and you want to say that, that you've... Um, You've spent some time there now, so you've got better at moving through that environment. They can give you mm. two XP, um, and then they can be trained in moving through that environment mm. for the duration of, of, of this adventure, you know, the next couple mm. of sessions when we're in this area. That's quite nice. But again, players will never do that, because if they hold out until four XP, they can buy a skill. <laughs> so so they, won't buy, they won't buy temporary effects. Um, sometimes they use it for clues. If they yeah. seem a bit stuck, I'll, I'll say, look, you can buy a clue. 
with an XP. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of movement that way. That that means you can't you can't fudge XP. You can't say right you weren't at the session, but never mind. Have this much XP because that whole dynamic of mm. of the movement of XP is really part of the game. And mm. it would be a real swizz, I think, for players if somebody came in in the next session and just gave them a couple yeah. of XP to, to bring them up with it. And it does mean actually, although over time it will balance out, it does mean that you will have players in different places because a session will go badly for a player and they'll end up with no XP because they were buying off the intruder. They didn't do yeah. that very much. Um, but, um, but they might be buying off intruder. They never do. They never do. <laughs> no one wants to buy off intruder. So that's the first half of the interview. If you want to hear the second part, hop on over to Dave's Depercentile show and look out for the continuation over there. Thanks again to Dave Aldridge for coming to talk about playing Numenera and thank you to you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us talking about that game. Don't forget, because we're an Anchor podcast, you can drop me a voice message if you have any comments or questions and if you've enjoyed listening to Dave, please consider sharing the episode on social media. I'll stick links to Dave's podcast in the show notes. Finally, thanks to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Really couldn't do it without you guys. And that's it for today. I'm Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. I'll see you again on the flip side. Game on. <laughs>